Hi everybody and welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio. I met a man who told me that he's already an immortal. Can you imagine such a thing? He said, yep, we're already immortals. We cannot die. Now, this guy is an old guy. He's probably late 70s or early 80s. And he said something like that to me. Uh, That's a bit strange. Are we really immortals? Can we not die? When we do die, are we going directly to our quote-unquote reward in heaven or hell? Is that what the Bible says? Are we preparing for that? We prepare for food shortages. We prepare for COVID. We We prepare for lots of things. But are we prepared for meeting our Savior? I want to read some things to you here. This is the back blurb of Fox's Book of Martyrs. I highly recommend this classic put out by John Fox. and It's been updated through the 21st century, which is bringing us up to date. Here's what it says on the back. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Would you suffer and die for Christ? The rise of communism, Islam, and Hinduism across the globe has led to unprecedented persecution against the Church of Jesus Christ. Why is that? This book is a timely reminder of those who paid the ultimate price for their Lord and Savior. Is that something you or I are prepared to do? Well, many times I wonder. When the church does not feel pain, writes Sabrina Werbrand, a co-founder of The Voice of the Martyrs, When the church does not feel pain with those who are part of them, the church's nerves become dead. Amen to that. In 1563, John Fox began writing a book in tribute to Christian martyrs, beginning with Stephen, the first believer who died for the cause of Christ. Fox's original work ended with the martyrs of his own day, those who were killed during the reign of Bloody Mary. He wanted the church to remember the martyrs, for he knew that the blood of the martyrs truly is the seed of the church. That's pretty sobering. Martyrdom is not a thing of the past. The Christian church continues to endure great persecution in many places around the world. In fact, more Christians were affected 
by persecution, including martyrdom, during the 20th century than in all previous centuries combined. Listen to the cries of the martyrs and let their faith, courage, and love touch your life. This classic work will stir you, challenge you, and inspire you to surrender everything to Christ. It will greatly build your faith. This is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Last time we covered the fallacy of a pre-trib rapture. It is a fallacy. We're preparing for the wrong thing. We want to be out of here. We want to avoid becoming martyrs. We want to avoid persecution at all costs. Americans are so spoiled. It's pathetic. I know, because I'm an American, and I know I'm spoiled. And I loved being spoiled. It's great. But it's unrealistic. And there is a time of trouble coming to you and to me and to everybody who is alive on earth in reality. So, are we immortal? Hardly. All the people who have ever died as a result of knowing Christ, from the very first martyr, Stephen, to today, we will suffer persecution. Now, where's that found in the Bible? Let's start with Second Timothy chapter 3. Starting in verse 12. Actually, let's start in verse 1, chapter 3, 2 Timothy. Quote, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. You ever know anybody like that? Well, I do. They will be cruel. They will enjoy their wickedness, I might add and enjoy persecuting you and get a kick out of it. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Now let's skip down to verse 10. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how how I live and what my purpose in life is. What's your purpose in life? Is it to go to heaven when we die? 
Or will you end up in hell where we fry? Well, that's a little tongue-in-cheek humor, I suppose. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. Verse 11, 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You realize that he was slashed with whips, you know, uh, like a cat of nine tails. When you do that and you are you get recovered, in other words, when all the skin is off your back and your body regrows that skin together again, eventually you will be healed from it. But it'll take a while and it'll be very painful. But then he, that is Paul, had that done to him five times. Each time you break open a scar, it hurts twice as bad at least than it did the first time. So I can't imagine how much agony that guy went through. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured, he says, You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Verse 12. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Why didn't he just say, they will be taken away from all the persecution in a rapture. We'll just get out of here. Well, because it's not real, that's why. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes from trusting Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. So it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, that is the Bible, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Then I want to go to chapter 4 and read verse 5. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out your ministry, the ministry God has given you. Verse 6, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. I pray that we all can do that. Remain faithful. And now, the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. Hmm, you mean you don't go to heaven immediately when you die? No, not according to Paul. We're going to read more about that in a minute. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Do you look forward to his appearing? Or do you want to be out of here? I was telling everybody last week about my meeting with Jerry Jenkins and the fact that he told me personally when I met him in Orlando that, no, this isn't based on the Bible, this Left Behind series where this rapture theory uh, caught on. No, it's fiction. <laughs> it's fiction. They made it up. So, well, now if you would, go with me to chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, and we'll start in verse 7. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Verse 11, make it your goal to live a quiet life minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not Christians will respect the way you live and will not need to depend on others. Verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, notice it's at, at that time when he returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. You see, they don't go to their reward at death. They go to wait for him to get ready to come back, and they come back with him at that time in resurrected bodies. Otherwise, they would be, he would be bringing back dead bodies. No, they're resurrected. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have already died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Wait a minute, I thought we were out of here, and we're going to avoid all this persecution. No, not at all. So it says, first the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we, in other words, we all, will be with the Lord forever. 
So encourage one another with these words. So what do you make of that? Well, I believe every word of it. It's true. Continuing on in chapter 5. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. Verse 2. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Let me just pause right there a second. Do you ever think about this? If we're expecting him now and he comes unexpectedly, that means he won't come right now. He'll come in his own timing and it will be unexpected by the world. Verse 3, chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will come upon them and fall as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. There will be no escape But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. You see, if we're expecting a pre-trib rapture and it doesn't come, guess what? Many will fall away on account of it. Well, he was supposed to come before all this trouble came on the earth. He was supposed to come and rapture us away, get us out of here. But he didn't come. Why not? I don't believe any of this stuff anymore, they might say. Well, don't you be one of those people. Verse 4, But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised if, and when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you're all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard. Be prepared, if you would. Be prepped. Not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose us through our Lord Jesus Christ not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns... We can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and they live peaceably and peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy 
Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. That is the hardest thing any of us can do, seems to me. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. I want to speak with you one uh, little story. I think that many of my readers have known about this for maybe some time, but I made kind of a little um, mini-survey, I suppose, about heaven and about what people think about it. If I were to ask pastors all across Highlands County, for example, what does it mean to go to heaven? What do you suppose they said? Well, the majority of them said that it could be anything you want it to be. (laughs) I talked to one pastor who said it was like the Starship Enterprise. Um, there's this room that has a grid on it, a grid of white light on the floor, walls and ceiling. And then in the corner by the door, there's a uh, little computer and you can enter into it whatever you want to do that day. And then pull this lever, and poof, you're there doing that thing. Whether it be playing tennis or golf or riding horseback or whatever the case may be. Is that somewhere in the Bible that I missed? I mean, this is a guy that is educated at the Dallas Theological Seminary as a doctor of divinity. (sighs) And he thinks that? Well... I got news for you. He changed his tune. He actually changed his tune. I did not expect that. He asked me, well, what's your take on heaven? I think he could read my face and just tell me through that reading that I, I thought it was rather humorous and silly, especially coming from someone as high caliber as him. And uh, so I told him, you see all those stars out there? This was at night on a campout. All those stars are out there for a good reason. Why are they out there? Well, the stars are suns, just like our sun is a sun, is a star. It's a bright, shining, round globe that is on fire and really, really hot, and it shines light through space. 
And each one of those stars, more than likely, has at least one habitable planet revolving around it. I said, imagine that God has this huge project going on. And what he's up to is spreading the kingdom of God throughout the universe and bringing it to life. He wants multiple planetfuls of people who serve and worship him. It's not because of ego, but because of his love. He wants to share his lifestyle with us. And I ask him to think about that for a while. Could there be a bigger project than that? Could God imagine something bigger, better, broader than that? And look what that would entail. It would have to start somewhere. It started with the death of Christ on the cross. He opened the access door for us to have permanent life. Not just this temporary life we live now. Not just to rescue us and put us up on a shelf somewhere to look at as if we were a monument like a Grammy Award or something. No. No, it's not to retire us. It's to hire us. It's to bring us up higher than we've ever been able to achieve on earth as a human being. He wants permanent sons that love him and worship him and want what he wants. And then they go to work doing the things God wants done. And not just for now, not just for this year, and not just for a little while and then we wear out. No, it's forever. Can you imagine traveling in through space wherever God wants us to go, settling on a planet that he once developed, and we, along with a team of others like us, Build that world into a beautiful place like planet Earth. Can you imagine how many of those gods put out there? He's still at work. He's still making more of them. Why? Well, remember what Jesus said? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, in my father's house are many mansions, or that is, many places, many offices, many jobs, if you would. And these jobs are to take care of those who are going to be in his family one day. They live a life, they grow in Christ, and they become his children. Wow. And then, can you imagine having your progeny, your sons and daughters and grandchildren on a planet? That's your planet, the planet that you developed under God. God wanted it and authorized it. 
but it's your relatives. Can you imagine that? What a celebration when you get done building another planet and then come back to them and see how they're doing. What an awesome thrill and joy it will be. I don't understand how there could be anything better than that. To just play, you know, to push a few buttons on a computer and then pull a lever and and then be playing this or playing that. I'm sorry, but that's really boring. (laughs) That's really boring. After 10,000 years of that, that would really be old. There's a book you can read. I wrote the book. It's on my website, itellwhy.com. It's called, What in Heaven is God Up To? There's several other books there that I've written, and they're similar themed in that they're Bible studies. They are proving my point that God is building a universe full of his children. And you can have a part in that. Well, I mean, what could be better for you than that? What could be, is there a better employer than God? Hardly. Do you want to just retire forever and do nothing and, and play and get nothing out of life? What does God want out of life? Well, He wants to build worlds and fill them with life. That's what it says in Isaiah 45, 18, in 51, 16, in 40, 22, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22. You can go to Isaiah 11, Isaiah 35. It's all through the Bible if you just look for it. So, I suggest you read your Bible and not pretend like the Old Testament is worthless. It's not worthless. It's not done away. It's not old. It's still way newer than than we are. So, please, open your Bible and read it. And I've got to go. So I thank you for tuning in today. This is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Have a great day.